All right, real quick, people, before we get into today's show, we've just released a new course, Periodization for Periods, all around how to train women around their monthly cycle, and we've got it on special. If you're interested, click the link in the show notes. You are now listening to the Fitness Education Online Podcast, the podcast where fitness professionals go to grow their fitness business. If you're in the fitness industry, you'll find tips and strategies from proven business experts. Now, let's start the show. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fitness Education Online Podcast. I'm your host, Jono, and I am super excited because we have an awesome guest on the line speaking about a very important topic, which is going to be cancer and exercise. I've got Jason Gardner from Your Move Health. Jason, how are you? Uh, Really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. No, thanks for coming on. Do you want to let the listeners know a little bit about you? Who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? What are your qualifications? Why do we listen to you? Absolutely. So my name's Jace. Um, I'm an accredited exercise physiologist. I've got a private practice uh, down on the Mornington Peninsula in lovely Victoria, Australia. Um, and my area of specialty is working with patients with a cancer diagnosis. Um, I've got a background in exercise oncology research. So uh, about 13 or 14 years working in that space, uh, teaching. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you say 13 or 14 years? Yes, absolutely. You start when you were three. How does uh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Age really no. well. Yep, yep. No, just uh, just had my thirty fifth birthday on the weekend, actually. So um, yeah, started started in the early twenties. So yeah, training background, I suppose. Uh, studied exercise and sports science, like like a lot. Thought I was going to get into working in elite sport. Uh, actually, did manage to work for two years at a, an AFL footy club and decided it wasn't for me. So transitioned into the the research space doing some research in exercise for people with a prostate cancer diagnosis and then discovered that I really loved working in the, in the clinical field rather than, than working with athletes. And so that's what led me to go on and, and uh, do my master's in exercise physiology and, and yeah, start, start working in that space. And through that, uh, that time doing some research and, and working in the oncology field, I became really passionate about how much room there is to, you know, to help in that space. There's uh, you know, there's a big need. There's, evidence to show that exercise is really helpful for people with their cancer diagnosis and and that they're not getting access to adequate advice and support to you know to be able to move once diagnosed so um yeah i guess my my mission since then both in in the research and teaching that i do but also in my clinical practice was to to improve access to quality exercise services for people with a cancer diagnosis awesome well, let's dive into to some of that research. And keep in mind, everyone listening will be a personal trainer, not a an exercise mm. physiologist. So, um, just keep that in mind with the the, the explanations and whatnot. Yeah, uh, and and I know it's obviously also going to depend, like cancer. Is it breast cancer or is it prostate cancer? You know, and and what stage is it? And what's the treatment? Is it chemo? Is it medication? Is it you know um, what what whatever else? So, what can you tell us? maybe generally, and then maybe if you want to break down some of the common, I guess, cancers that you see and, and treatments mm. that you see. And I, I might just hand it over to you. This is your specialty. What what can you tell us? Absolutely. I, I think you just made a really, really good point there that that is probably the, the first step for anyone with an interest in this space is to realize that cancer is not just one thing. Mm. So cancer is a name that we give to uh, a collection of hundreds of different types of diseases where there is abnormality and uh, excessive replication of cells within the body, but those cells are unhelpful and cause uh, you know damage and problems and and steal resources that our healthy cells need. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's huge differences depending on whether we're talking about breast cancer or prostate cancer or leukemia or lymphoma or, um, you know, lung cancer. They're really, really different in terms of, you know, at the microscopic level and, and at the biochemical level, they're really different things but also in terms of the impact that that has on the person in terms of life expectancy, in terms of symptoms, in terms of, um, you know, uh, impairments to function, and then also the the treatments that are used for those. So, um, you know, treatments for leukemia might be very, very different to skin cancer or prostate cancer or, or breast. So it's a, it's a collection of related but very, very different conditions. And that's why uh, it can make it tricky for the exercise professional to, uh, I guess, understand what's going on and, and what that means um, in terms of exercise for that particular client. It's often not as simple as just, you know, w- w- what is the answer for someone with cancer? Mm. Um, it's, it's very much, you know, what is appropriate for this person in front of me yeah. um, and requires, yeah, a bit, bit more understanding and, and a bit more digging for information, both from your client, but also potentially from their treating team and, and, you know, from the research that's out there. Awesome. Can you, can, what are the most, well, let's maybe go there. What are the, the most common so- sorts of cancer that you see or cancer patients that you see in your clinic? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the stats on that are pretty clear in Australia. Uh, breast is the most common cancer in women. Prostate cancer, the most common cancer in men, followed by bowel cancer. Um, and then, you know, things Where's like... Mom? Lung cancer is a little bit, bit, a little bit lower than that, which is, which is great. Um, yeah. It's on, on, the, on a slow decline. Um, skin cancer technically is, is the most common, um, but oftentimes, so uh, really simple melanoma that, that can just be surgically removed and that's it. Yeah. Often doesn't get, doesn't get uh, counted in, in a lot of the, the cancer stats. And, that, um, and just from the exercise side of things, that probably wouldn't affect too much, right? Other than, um, you know, for a period of a couple of weeks after having yeah. surgery, but, yeah. you know, not necessarily different to, to any other minor surgery, um, yeah. you know, just in terms of take it easy around that area. And then once the, the tissue is knitted back together and, and the structural integrity is fine, then, you know, then go for it. Um, it's, it's only, I guess, melanoma once, um, uh, once it's no longer localised, then can become quite lethal and, and quite horrendous to treat. Uh, so, you know, it's certainly nothing to just go, oh, it's just melanoma, it's fine. But um, in its early cases, because we can see it on the outside, it's often caught a lot earlier, it's dealt with a lot earlier, and then touch wood, fingers crossed, is is a bit of a non-event, um, you know, if, if it's managed to be cured. Gotcha. So, and what do you see more of, breast cancer or prostate, or it's half-half? Um, in, in our practice, so my, my practice is a community-based private practice, Um so yeah, we, we tend to see probably our biggest proportion is prostate cancer, then breast would be behind that. We see a, a bit of bowel and, and ovarian cancer as well. I'm uh, currently doing some work with Ovarian Cancer Australia and, and um, developing uh, a telehealth exercise service uh, with them, which is, which is really, really cool. Um, but yeah, predominantly the, the breast and prostate would be our, um, our, our most populous client base. Okay, let's maybe run with prostate then as a as a start one. Yeah. Now, prostate. I'm guessing the what's what's kind of like what's the procedure? Someone's got prostate cancer. It's medication. I'm guessing usually they're they're on or how does what how does that work? Yeah. So often prostate cancer can be um, can be identified because of having symptoms going to the toilet. Yeah. Either, either blood in the pee or... Do, 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 do you know the stat? Because like it's quite a common thing in older men, right? Do, do you happen yeah, so, to know those stats off the top of your head? 
Yeah, so one in seven Aussie males will be diagnosed in their lifetime. Okay. Um, I thought it'd be but, more, to be honest. Well, interestingly, a lot go undiagnosed. So yeah. Okay. There's studies called autopsy studies where basically people that have died for whatever reason, yeah. um, you know, we chop them open and just see what's going on in, in their body. And yep. so over the age of, or at the age of 50, one in two men actually have evidence of prostate cancer. Yeah, so there we go. 50% at 50 years of age. The challenge with prostate cancer is a lot of the time it's really slow growing and, and non-aggressive. So the, yeah. the saying is often that most men will die with, but not of prostate yeah, cancer. Yeah, gotcha. It's only when it's an aggressive cancer and starts to spread and, and you know do damage elsewhere that it becomes really problematic. But it can be difficult to figure out at least early days, which of those tumours are, are going to be aggressive and, and which ones aren't. So um, for, for some gents, routine screening and, and even, you know, once a diagnosis has been made, it is actually a viable option to just kind of watch and wait. So to be regulatory, regularly monitored, but not, not do anything about it. Um, but if, if treatment is uh, decided that, that that's what we're going to go for, if it's early enough and the cancer is localised into the prostate gland itself, then the, the two methods of treatment are either surgery to remove the entire prostate. Oh, okay. And the idea is to, to cut the, the prostate and the enclosed cancer out and remove yep. it from the body completely. Or the other is radiation therapy, which is essentially oh. using radiation to burn and blast all of the, the cells in the area and, and kill them. Yeah. Um, in conjunction with that, the most common uh, other treatment that happens is what's called androgen deprivation therapy, which is basically hormone therapy. Gotcha. It's, um, it's trying to reduce testosterone levels down to zero. So it's essentially oh, wow. chemi chemical castration yeah. because testosterone is a food for prostate cancer. It helps it grow. Yeah. And that's a really, really common treatment, I would say, of the clients that we see with prostate cancer. Probably at least three quarters would be receiving this treatment. Yeah, okay. It's really, really powerful, but it has a lot of side effects. And that's yeah. where exercise can become really, really helpful because yeah. the side effects yeah. of testosterone suppression are loss of muscle mass, yeah. increasing adiposity, loss of bone density, yeah. uh, poor blood sugar control, um, increased risk factors for heart disease and, and diabetes. Yeah. Um, so keeping active can, can really help to actually offset some of those unwanted effects of the treatment yeah, so that you can get the benefits without as much of the drawback. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And question, does, um, I don't know if you know this one, in terms of prevention, does exercise help prevent prostate cancer or there's no, no link there? It's really interesting. Some cancers, yes. Prostate cancer is a, a little bit unsure. So certainly okay. in, in breast cancer and bowel cancer, we do see that people who are more physically active earlier in life have yeah. lower rates. Of, okay. of breast cancer and bowel cancer. Prostate's a little bit less clear. Um, certainly for those that are more active after diagnosis, there seems to be you know, slower progression and, and improved health outcomes, but it's a little okay. bit unclear as to you know, beforehand whether, whether exercise is really protective or not. Gotcha. Okay. And just, so, just for my own knowledge, prostate cancer, enlarged prostate, are they the same? Are they completely different? Uh, not the same, but not okay. completely different. So you can have okay. an enlarged prostate for other reasons that aren't okay. cancer, but certainly if you've got cancer growing in there, then that can result yeah, in an enlarged gotcha. prostate. Gotcha. Mm. Okay. So let's say for that population, should they mm -hmm. um, see an? Should that be a specifically exercise physiologist thing, or you know, let's say um, someone's diagnosed and maybe their I don't know their their doctor says, hey, maybe I guess it's both ways. I guess if they're not on any treatment, it doesn't really matter. 
would you say for that? They're like, as in they're like, then go to a gym, train with a PT. Mm. Or what are, you, what are your thoughts that if they're not on any, um, you know, not on any procedures, mm. are they yeah. good just to go to the gym, train with a PT? If they're not having particular concerning symptoms as a result of their cancer, then yeah, probably. Um, gotcha. I guess the, the interesting thing there, so for men with prostate cancer, the, the typical um, stereotype, I suppose, is, is an older male, sort of, yeah. you know, 60, 65 plus. So, uh, you know, the prostate cancer itself, probably if it's early stage or, or you know, treated with curative intent, probably doesn't pose that many barriers to, to exercise. Yeah. But just the fact that it's a, you know, 65, 70-year-old gent, they're much yeah. more likely to have, you know, the, the other health issues as well, the, the heart yeah. disease or the diabetes. So I guess it's not necessarily the prostate cancer that, that would be, you know, a, a big reason to not go to the gym or not see a PT. It would just be like you would with any other 65-year-old yeah. male deciding to join the gym, do your adequate screening for yeah. cardiovascular disease risk, musculoskeletal injuries, you know, other, other bits and pieces that you might need to be concerned about. And then, you know, if we're fine with all of those, then absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, so as PTs, we usually use the APSS, which is, I believe, what exercise physiologists use as well. Yeah. And that'll just be straight medical. Like they'll need to get medical clearance either way because there's going to be a box on there that says, is there anything else that may they're going to write? Yes, I have prostate cancer. There's going yeah. to be another box that says, are you a male over 45? They're going to tick mm -hmm. that there. And there's probably going to be two or three others. So you're going to look at that and, and straight away, they, you're going to need medical clearance anyway. And I was speaking to Jason off air anyway. Um, I'm a fan of the exercise is medicine form. Our medical clearance form. You can go on, on online and get that or a sample version of that. I like it because it essentially asks the, the GP or whoever the medical professional is, is this person um, cleared to exercise in a non-clinical setting or should they exercise in a clinical setting? And I love that question because it's not a no, because very, especially in that situation, very few GPs are going to be like, no, you shouldn't exercise, you know, Absolutely. like, Absolutely. Um, so I like that question. It's kind of like, yes, this person should exercise, but I don't know if I'm comfortable with them in a gym, they should go and see a, an EP. Um, and then also later down in that form, there's things where it's, it actually says an intensity as well. What intensity hmm. should this person train at? I mean, are there any restrictions or limitations? And I think that's also great, especially for the GP, because hmm. I know when I started in the industry, it was just like, you know, you'd send the GP, can this person exercise? And the GP would say yes or no, but it's not even fair on the GP. Like, what exercise are they doing? You know, mm. are they doing a 60-minute high-intensity boot camp or are they doing a, a gentle older adult class with a personal trainer? So, yeah, I, I love that form, but off topic a little bit. So that makes sense. What if they are on one of these treatments then, um, Jason? They will obviously need to get medical clearance as well, but will they – usually be referred to an EP or or do they all get a program? How does how does that kind of work? Yeah, um, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they won't necessarily be given any uh, specific advice. They might get a little pamphlet that says, you know, exercise doing some exercise good. is good. Um, <laughs> yeah. And often that's, that's where it's left for a lot of yeah, them. Okay. So, um, I suppose, Again, prostate cancer, there are a lot of gents that I work with that would be absolutely fine and safe to, to be in a gym setting. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, we at my practice, we do actually try and link in with a number of the gyms around the area. And, and you know, yeah, once, we've, once we've screened some of our clients, if, if they're pretty low needs, they're, you know, they're not medically unstable or they don't have high risk considerations, then we're actually quite happy to, you know, to handball them on to wherever yeah. they would like to do their exercise. And, and we 
just tend to liaise with their trainer and say, hey, you know, introducing you to, to this person, um, you know, here's a little bit of their medical background. And, and this is what that might mean for their, their exercise training, as oh, long as you're aware it. of exercise. Oh, you, give some, you give some guidance. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. yeah. And, and so I guess coming the other way, if I'm putting myself in, in the shoes of, of when I was a personal trainer before I'd done other, other training, I think that would be the, the key is just to try and liaise with an exercise physiologist or a physiotherapist with knowledge in cancer or ideally with their oncologist. Mm. Um, they can be hard to reach, but, you know, if you're persistent with either emails or, or phone calls and, and just say, hey, look, you know, this client's come to me and, and wants to train, I want to make sure that I'm doing things that are safe for them first and foremost so that they can get the benefits of exercise. You mm. know, is there anything, are you happy for me to work with this client and is there anything I should be on the lookout for or anything I should avoid? And having having that two-way conversation with their treatment team means from, from the treating team's perspective, they're actually much more comfortable to uh, to encourage their client to do that because they know that they can talk to you if, if they need and that hopefully you'll com- come back to them if there's any concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it can give you the confidence of, okay, well, you know, is this someone that, that I should feel comfortable working with? Are there restrictions around what I should be doing? And in a lot of cases... Um, you know, beyond just being a, an, an older adult, there may not be contraindications or, or considerations, but certainly in many cases, particularly if the cancer is more advanced, mm. um, there can be some really serious concerns. Mm. Um, so I guess, yeah, the, I was saying to you off air, one of the, the key things really is to, to have a fitness industry that's not scared of working with clients with cancer because we don't want to place barriers in the way of, of these patients accessing care, but also having a fitness industry that's, uh, you know, that's not, overconfident and, and arrogant and, and thinks that we can just be gung-ho with, with everybody because there is, unfortunately, a lot of harm that we can do with, with inappropriate exercise for the wrong person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, having, having that communication and, and um, confidence is, is really important. I think the, the biggest barrier sometimes is, you know, trying to track people down or, or spend time, you know, corresponding back and forward with other treating teams is, is unpaid and, and yeah. you know, often often that gets put on the back burner but in this population in particular it's so important you were mentioning jason the gp could be okay as well let's say if the trainer tries to get in contact with the oncologist they can't mm-hmm. um a gp is sufficient or what's what's your take there yeah look anyone that you can speak to is better than no one yeah. so you know generally if if someone with cancer not just prostate cancer but any cancer if if they're receiving treatment currently it's usually their oncologist who's in the driver's seat yeah. Um, hopefully they will be keeping the GP in the loop. Yeah. The regular GP usually kind of steps aside and, and yeah, the oncologist takes that, that role of coordinating care until treatment's finished. Um, so they will be your best port of call if, if you can connect. Um, and it, but if just, not, just, just, just a question with that. How often does yeah. the patient see the oncologist? That'll really depend on on the cancer, on on the yeah, severity, okay. yeah. There's some, you know, that might just check in once every six months or once every oh, twelve wow. months. If, okay. You know, if but if they're stable and if kind of you know it's, either treatment. It's not just kind or, of like because my thinking was, you know, okay, the PT can maybe say, hey, just give this form to your oncologist on the next time you see them, but that could be six months away. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then, but, but that you, that could be a case where that could be the GP then. If it's yeah, like you, absolutely, you're, you're probably going to see the GP in that time then, right? Quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah. If you know, if it's a client that's kind of getting current chemotherapy or something like that, they might be seeing the oncologist weekly. So, yeah. 
um, yeah, it can be, you know, really dependent on, on what's going on at the time. But I guess, you know, in that, in that context, it would be less likely then that, that that patient would be, you know, appropriate to be, you know, working out in a normal community gym if, if yeah. they were, you know, in the midst of, of active treatment like that, there'd potentially be a lot more safety concerns. Not, you know, not definitive. I, I do have clients who are getting weekly chemo that are that are active in the gym. Um, in in like a commercial common. gym, not in your... Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, there we go. All yeah. right. Now, what's, what's your take on this? Because I'm guessing... Okay, so ask the question and, and answer how you, how you, you want. Like my thinking yeah. in the ideal world, let's say that, you know, whatever, a client's got prostate cancer, whatever's going on, their oncologist said, yeah, do some exercise, you know, whatever. You know, the person goes to the gym. Do you think like there's, would you say there's always a benefit for the PT to maybe say, hey, I know this EP, go and see them first and then come and see me? What's what's your because I'm thinking that would be mm. in my mind I feel that's ideal if they went and saw you first you did whatever you do and you're like you know what hey you can come and see me that's fine I've got all these programs but if that gym works better I'm very happy to send over that form that you mentioned to the PT with the things yada 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 what's your because I know the PT would be way more comfortable if that was the case but what's your yeah. what's your thoughts yeah I think um well the the most recent guidance, which has come from the American College of Sports Medicine, uh, 2019, they published their updated guidelines on exercise for, for cancer survivors. And so, um, again, one of the things that they're really mindful of is, is not trying to place a barrier to exercise in front of every single yeah, client. Gotcha. So, yeah. you know, that can be burdensome and odorous to, for everyone with a cancer diagnosis to say, hey, you can't come to the gym until you've seen an EP. Yeah. And, and there are plenty of EPs who, who don't really know what's going on in cancer anyway. Yeah, so it's not point. necessarily helpful. Yeah. Um, if, if, a, if, if a client is, uh, I guess, doesn't have other comorbidities or, or, you know, complications as a result of their cancer or treatment, then there's every chance that that they're fine in a yeah. gym environment. And so as a PT, I guess my suggestion would be to, to ask, um, you know, are they currently having treatment or, or is that in the past? Mm. Are they having any side effects or issues because of treatment? Is there more treatment plans mm. upcoming? Um, you know, are, are there anything, is there anything that you're, you're still struggling with as a result of that? And, and use that as a little bit of a flag for, you know, if they say yes and start, to list a few things mm. are you comfortable that that's within your skill set or would you like somebody else to have a look over that first whether it's you know the oncologist whether it's a gp whether it's a physio or an ep who who understands cancer mm. um I, I mean i guess in some cases the fact that a client has actually come to you in a gym mm. probably means that they at least think that they're up to it you know yeah. there, there would be lots of patients with cancer who are inappropriate for a gym that would just never set foot in it so mm -hmm. they must already think that they're you know maybe suitable yeah so then if you're doing your job to to screen and, and they say you know what there's nothing really that bothers me i'm you know i'm medically stable my oncologist said it's okay then you're probably okay if you go through the normal like you said the APSS mm -hmm. screening you're probably okay to proceed just with a little bit of caution and see how yep. you go yeah. As, as a general rule, you probably haven't got much to lose if you like start slow and then yeah. then build up, as opposed to going hard from day dot. Because because um, the other way to look at it, like they'll probably just do it on their own. Like if if you said, "Nah, I can't train you," then like, all right, well I'll just go for a walk outside. 
probably hmm. better if they at least do it in the gym and you know you're there to supervise them and ask some questions and yeah, yeah possibly but yeah. then equally if there's stuff that you're not sure about or if they say yeah you know i've got some neuropathy from my chemo or mm. you know i'm having to have heart checks every six months because you know my my drugs you know do have uh cardiotoxic effects on on the heart then you might yeah. say hey look i you know i'd love to to work with you but it'd be really really good to link in with an exercise specialist who's you know who's experienced in cancer do you think we could perhaps link in with that even if they just do an assessment and then yeah. you know then then send you here and, and i'd really encourage i guess any fitness professionals in in that boat to to try and create links to yeah, 100%. other experts in that area i think you know sometimes one of the biggest barriers in in the exercise industry full stop is is a competitive mindset rather than a, yeah. co a collaborative mindset yeah. Um, you know, in, in my practice, at least we, we love linking in with exercise people around us. Both way. Cause the, in the ideal world is it kind of works both ways, right? It's like someone goes into the gym and you're like, Hey, it'd be great if you could see this, this EP, like maybe that EP says, yep, great. Go on train with Jim. But even if the EP says, Hey, like, like you're better off training with me because of this happy mm. days, because it's probably going to work the other way as well. You'll get a client. And you're like, hey, by all means, you can work with me. But look, you can also go to the local gym. There's a personal trainer there. You know, I'm friends with them. They can help you out, yada, yada, yada. And then and it's the best for the patient. Absolutely. And look, yeah. from my perspective, at least, the thing I look for in personal trainers and doctors and whoever I'm collaborating with is their willingness to talk. Yeah. So if, if a, a patient comes to make a booking with me and says, hey, my personal trainer sent me up because they, you know, they just want you to have a look at this i'm straight away wanting to connect to that to that personal trainer because i know that one they care enough about their clients to you know to put their well-being ahead rather than just thinking oh well I'll, I'll take the risk um and you know if they've taken made you know made the effort to try and connect with me i want to make sure i communicate clearly back and, and empower them to be able to, to do the work that they do so mm. um yeah i think you know just just because you refer a patient somewhere else doesn't mean you should be worried about losing that mm. you know that client i think it, it shows that you know that you're trying to do the best by that client and make sure that they get number one safe and then number two effective exercise prescription um so yeah i'd, I'd strongly advocate for, for reaching out to those in your area that you can you know collaborate with rather than compete against 100 percent. all right yeah. let's flip it let's spend a minute on breast cancer yeah do you absolutely. know those stats off the top of your head how many women in australia um have breast cancer or end up with or experience breast cancer? I'm less familiar off the top of my head. I want to say it's about one in five, but I'm not as confident yeah. on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it certainly does tend to be a slightly earlier diagnosis than, than prostate mm -hmm. cancer. Yep. Um, again, breast cancer is, like I was saying right at the start, we, you know, it's an umbrella term, but there's something like 100 different variations of, of cancer breast that cancer. affects breast tissue. So yeah. they're, they're not all one and the same. Um, and they have, you know, really different severities, really different treatment options. Mm. Um, so, yeah, again, you know, breast cancer is not breast cancer, if that makes sense. The, you know, yep. it, it's very dependent on, on the client in front. Um, similar to prostate cancer, sometimes if it's caught really early, um, you know, the, the gold standard treatment there would be to chop it out, get rid of the tumour, whether that's what's called a lumpectomy, which is just taking, you know, a small amount of tissue or whether it's mastectomy, which is to remove the entire breast. Um, the, the hope is that you've got all of the cancerous tissue. It's gone. It's out of the body. And, yep. you, you know, the, the, the risk is gone. Um, 
but that's not always the case. Uh, you know, cancer is is sneaky and it manages to to find its way out and you know spread through through the lymphatic system and through the bloodstream to other parts of the body and um, and then that's often where uh, other treatments, so chemotherapy and, and hormone therapies, are, are used because it's no longer contained to one spot. So you kind of have to to treat the body head to toe rather than than in an isolated spot. Um, so in terms of, I guess, a, a breast cancer client who who might show up at the gym, often the really really common first thing that you have to be aware of is if they've just had uh, surgery. Yeah. Um, will, they, will, they get, will, will they get an exercise? They'll get an exercise program, right? If someone has a mastectomy, they'll get some sort of um, physio. Or ha- do you know how that works, roughly? Hopefully. Okay. Hopefully, but again, sometimes it's a pamphlet. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know the the early restrictions there are, are around shoulder range of motion, and yeah. and again that that depends a bit on. Um, that would be a no for a PT, right? Someone's like, hey, I had a mastectomy last week you know? yeah. <laughs> or is it do you have a, a time frame where where it's kind of like oh if it's within this it's it's pretty yeah pretty probably that that six to 12 week window would where i would be saying go go yeah probably not um and then even once they even 12 weeks so even window, 12 weeks there's potential to to be at the the gym without physio and look uh, best practice would be to you know to be engaging someone with with rehab knowledge in in that area you know through that yeah. period but at, at 12 weeks you know if there's no complications whatsoever then you know yeah. really low load low velocity you know confined range of motion up limb exercise can be absolutely appropriate and just you know with the, the attitude of start low and progress slow yeah um but even within you know within localized breast cancer the the surgical options are, are really really different so just i guess to give give you a quick example so that your your listeners have some context um a, a small simple lumpectomy is literally just taking some fat tissue and, and breast tissue sort of from from the surface chopping it out by the time that wound heals um you know as long as the skin's not going to burst open generally pretty good it'll be a bit sore for a bit but you know like any other little cut or bruise or, or minor surgery you just kind of what as that heals you you go nuts but if there's been more tissue taken or particularly if um, so it's quite common to have a breast reconstruction um, okay. so that there's, there's still, um, yeah, still new breast tissue that's, that's going where the old one has been taken from. Some of the procedures there are actually quite interesting. So um, they actually use muscle from other parts of the body mm. to reconstruct the breast. So, for example, no. sometimes part Where's of the rectus abdominis, so part okay. of the six-pack muscle actually gets flipped up onto the pec area to create a new breast. Gotcha. And so not only is there the rehab from the surgery in the chest area, but mm. you're now missing part of your rectus yeah. abdominis. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's part of your lat dorsi instead that gets flipped around and, and put onto the chest. So then how do they, all of a how sudden... Do they pick, how do they pick? So it's different for everyone? Yeah, yeah. Do you um, know how they pick and, where it comes from? Do you get a, do you get a choice as the, as the patient? Ah, oh, can you take it yeah. from my... Yeah, my, my bum's looking a bit big. Can you take it from yeah. my glutes? Or... Yeah, sometimes. Um, it, it depends on the the composition of the, the skin, the fat tissue, and the quality of the muscle. Um, the, the, the most common one now, if, if available, is actually a muscle sparing surgery where they try and take some of the, the um, abdominal fat and pop it up uh, yeah. to reconstruct the breast from there. So it actually doesn't involve... 
uh, cutting or removing any of the rectus abdominis or, or the lat muscle. Yeah. Um, but often they can't actually tell whether that's going to be suitable until they go in and do the surgery. So mm. often the, the patient goes to sleep knowing it's going to be one of two or three options. And then they wake up and find out which one, yeah, you know, which well. one the surgeon went with. Yeah. yeah. But in terms of exercise, obviously you can, you can appreciate there that if, um, you know, we're not just looking at a, at a shoulder incision that, that we need to be careful of. There's actually, yeah. you know, relocation of muscles around the body. So something like a sit up, for example, yeah. is now going to be really different because we're missing part of that muscle that, that's engaged in, in that activity. So Wait, that let, can let, take me, some time. Let, let me just get my head around this system a bit more. So let's say mm. someone has a mastectomy, which sounds like a pretty decent operation, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They finish that because I've never had major surgery myself as well. Mm-hmm. So let's say, for example, they, they have that surgery. They are then obviously recommended, hey, you know, take it easy for whatever, six to 12 weeks, you know, come and see me again in, in six to 12 weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Are they kind of, um, in that six to 12, is there any guidance where it's like, hey, go and see a physio or, yeah, I guess maybe that initial, do they, that yeah. initial six to 12 between, like, is that how it works? You do the operation and then you have another appointment in X amount of weeks time? Generally, so the bigger the operation, probably the longer you spend in hospital to begin with. So hopefully they're actually seeing a physio in the hospital as an inpatient for, a, gotcha. you know, once or twice a day for the first few days to, yep. you know, gotcha. to slowly get things moving. And then hopefully they're given some good advice around, all right, for these first two weeks, you know, these are the really, really gentle, you know, movements and range of motion activities that we'd yep. like you to do. And then yep. if you kind of hit those milestones, then weeks, you know, two to four, this is the next step. This is the next step. Are they coming the back step. into the hospital after each, or it's more just like, here's the six week program, come back in, in six weeks. Depends a little bit on, on the hospital and on the surgeon, gotcha. but okay. sometimes a combination of both, sometimes yep. just one or the other. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes, you know, not really either of those, just, yep. you know, do, do nothing for, for eight weeks. I'll see you in eight weeks and then, you know, we'll go from there. Gotcha. So it is, it is variable. Um, and then at that, so let's let's even say that at that kind of eight week mark, then I guess it's variable again. But I'm guessing mm-hmm. the major kind of things there is some hospitals might have like an outpatient program. Absolutely, they come in and we do this here. Some may have connections with physios, exercise physiologists. Hey, if you want to continue, you know, go and see this person here. Mm-hmm. Um, or some may some may have with gyms as well. Go and see this mm-hmm. gym. Or some might just say, hey, you know, it's you can start to get back into exercise now. And it yep. kind of just depends on the the hospital, I guess, and yep. the the medical professional. Absolutely, yeah. There's, gotcha. there's some okay. some have a really you know really nice structured um, you know graduated approach to getting well, back quick, to things. Quick question with that: Why doesn't every hospital just have like just time? I guess time and resources. Time, resources, money. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's okay. um, you know unfortunately some are just kind of told, all right, nothing for twelve weeks, and then come back and, and see me at twelve weeks, and I'll give you the thumbs up, and then. Green light, do what you like. Because it's just like in my head, it just kind of would make sense that it's like, all right, you know, whatever the thing, whether it's, you know, this operation or that operation, there's like a float. It's like, all right, cool. Hey, here's your eight-week thing. Here's a list of five different – here's all the exercise physiologists in the area. Here's all the different physios. Here's all the different – but it's not mm-hmm. always like that. No, and, uh, you know, the challenge is that, you know, particularly public hospitals, but all hospitals, uh, you know, they're under pressure. They're, they're yeah. you know, there's always more work than they yeah. have capacity to do. So, it, you know, it, it, it sucks, but it's the balance between trying to get through as many people as we can and, you know, do a good enough job. Um, there's, you know, I think like anything, we could probably always do better, but 
yeah. you know, at what point to get that extra little bit of improvement, is it, you know, too much effort or, or too many resources or, or too much time? Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. All right. Well, um, Jason, that's pretty much all I wanted to cover today. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this that are like, all right, this is a topic I, I want to learn more about, or I even want to connect with Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess a couple of things. A, if someone wants to connect with you personally, where's the best place to to kind of connect with you or, or follow you? Uh, and in terms of the topic, do you post about this on your social medias and, and that kind of thing or... Yeah, um, so if people do want to get in contact with you, I'm, I'm more than happy. So the best way to get in contact with me would be via email. So uh, Jason, J-A-S-O-N dot Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R at Your Move Health, Y-O-U-R-M-O-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com dot A-U. Um, I'm not particularly active on socials. It's a bit hit and miss. So there'll be periods of, you know, where I am sharing and posting stuff and then periods where I go dark. Mm. Um, so email is is usually the best, but okay. I'm always happy to to connect. It's an area that I'm passionate about, and if I can help, you know, upskill people in in this area, then you know, collectively we're we're going to provide better services and support to to people with a cancer diagnosis, and that's that's ultimately my, my mission. Awesome. Well, awesome to chat with you, Jason. Anything I should have asked you but forgot to, or anything you want to finish us off with? Um, I think just. Uh, you know, to, to be confident that exercise is helpful for people with mm-hmm. a cancer diagnosis, but to not be overconfident that, um, yeah. you know, we, we can just dive in and, and do anything. If there's anything that you're unsure about with a client in front of you, if they mention cancer or cancer treatment, the best thing that you can do is get as much information as you can from the client, mm-hmm. try and connect with their treating team and, you know, collaborate and, and figure out, okay, what, you know, what exercise can I do? with this client rather than trying to fit the client into, you know, pre-existing cookie cutter services. Mm-hmm. Yep. Love it. Awesome. All right, Great. Jason, thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to the fitness education podcast. Before you leave, here's a message from our sponsors. Are you a fitness professional looking to provide your clients with personalized meal plans? Well, check out Mealsy, the ultimate solution for creating custom meal plans in just a few simple clicks. With Mealsy, you can say goodbye to countless hours spent on meal planning. Our Australian meal planning web app is designed to save you time and effort so you can focus on what really matters, your clients and their success. Mealsy provides you with a vast library of recipes all created by nutrition professionals. From breakfast to dinner and everything in between, we've got you covered. Whether you want to create a custom meal plan tailored to your client's needs or choose from our selection of ready-made meal plans, Mealsy has the flexibility to accommodate your preferences. So why waste precious time and energy creating meal plans from scratch? Let Mealsy do the heavy lifting for you while you focus on delivering exceptional fitness services. Join the community of fitness professionals who have revolutionized their business with Mealsy. Visit our website at www.mealsy.com and sign up today. Mealsy, the smarter way to meal plan for fitness professionals.